course, into the finer details regarding how it is that Peter can tell us that baptism now saves you. And it's as important as it is to go down to the very depths as much as we can to understand the very big pieces, the small moving parts, in order to appreciate the significance of baptism. We also need to now step back a little bit to see the, as you say, I guess you say, to see the forest for the trees. And of course, as I said, it's important to get down into the particulars, but we need to step back into the context just for a few moments in order to appreciate the conclusion of our text into chapter 3. So if you recall the context, in order to appreciate, again, the meaning of baptism and how it affects the ongoing ethical life of the Christian, remember the context of Peter's letter. If you look over with me in chapter 1, just briefly, I'll just introduce, once again, remember the context of the entirety of the letter in order to appreciate the conclusion of our time in chapter 3. If you notice the context beginning in chapter 1, verse 6, <coughs> excuse me, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been used by various trials. But the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, the identity of this community, as Peter begins to write to them, the identity as Christians is the source of their rejoicing. Again, it says in 6, In this you rejoice. What? That they're believers in Christ. And yet, the very same source of rejoicing, they are Christians, is the reason they were being marginalized publicly ridiculed, challenged economically, driven from opportunity, harassed. And the overall context of the book leads them to say their identity as believers is the reason for their persecution. Peter writes to them to remind them, and then of course as we hear the word preached, we read the text ourselves, finding ourselves as fellow believers, pilgrims, on the way, Peter writes to us to remind us, to remind them that we, as they, are God's chosen people, the people for His very own possession. You remember He said so in chapter two, verse nine. But you remember this, and, and remember this in your life. Of, of what you rejoice is bringing you sorrow, but it will prove valuable to you. Remember, verse 9, you are a chosen race. Remember this, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You, out of the culture, you, the baptized, you, those who trust in Christ, you are a people for His own possession. And then again in verse 9, in order that in all things you may proclaim the excellencies of whom He called you. Where did He call us? And he writes to remind you this morning, this Lord's Day, and myself as well, as he wrote originally to the first century audience, we are God's chosen people in order to encourage us, in order to exhort us to continue to live 
even, again, it makes sense as you progress through the text and through chapter 3 as we review, baptism then serves this end, this identity marker. Remember, and we've discussed this at length, I'm simply reviewing, I won't go into it yet again, but you must recall, how does baptism serve the overall idea of the text? an ethical behavior that flows from a confessional identity. If you confess, then your ethics ought to be So he reminds them of their baptism, and that's where we've been for the last few weeks, because baptism serves as an identity marker. The baptized of us have been set apart from the world. I hope you have, again, through the course of four or five weeks, been able throughout the course of your time. I hope the Lord has laid it on your mind, you've laid it upon you, to consider it a fresh significance of your identity. And that the meaning of that does influence your desire to give to those people. We don't take it out Because Peter includes the baptismal font as a significant portion of the perseverance of this struggle. He wants us to remember that. Then, why? How does that shape the church he writes to? They are no longer those. And, and to you and to me, we, the baptized of Christ, are no longer those who seek revenge. Why would they? Again, because the context of the letter, they are those who are And again, it's not the great uh, persecution of Nero. It's kind of more Christian than Kind of uh, being shut out of opportunity. Being marginalized. Being denied opportunities to purchase that. Um, being shunned from the community's larger group. Uh, having rumors spread about you, about your family. Why? Why does he remind them of their baptism? Because they identify with Christ. They are no longer those then who should seek revenge or enter into the gutter of moral filth. And he'll get into that in chapter 4 when we jump into that next week. You, the baptized, are just shunned bitterness. Because precisely that, you are baptized. You have identified yourself with Christ as signed and in your baptism. You see, the ongoing ethical dimension of baptism is to live, and for these folks here in the text, and perhaps in the West, I don't know if it's um, I mean, again, when we talk about persecution in the West, it's kind of a sticky, once again, you can get nebulous and hard to define when we are persecuted specifically um, for being explicitly Christian. Uh, I don't think it's that hard to find, but again, each of us will debate those aspects of does persecution apply to this or not. Is it simply something we don't like? Or is it actual persecution? And is it specifically tied to our confession as the baptized of Christ, members of the church? Either way, whether persecution is here today or coming in the short term, it was alive and on the ground in the first century, and the ongoing ethical dimension of their baptism is to live 
even under persecution as one who is truly All of this is captured in the larger context. I really wish you could lay it on How you are undergoing the process of baptism, identifying yourself as Christ and all the things to be on your mind in the life of the Notice how I'll leave the context quickly, and then we're going to jump into the fourth and eighth of the resurrection. Uh, notice the text in, 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 in total here. So we're through 21, we're jumping into 13. You can see how baptism is this ethical force to those who are there in case of difficulty. Verse 13, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. I don't hear of them, no But in your heart, regards Christ the Lord. But in your heart, regard Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared uh, uh, to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for what the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. And again, he'll jump into the conscience aspect in baptism as well. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, with that to be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He put death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed the spirit in prison. Because the formula did not obey. With God's patience, you recall, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought to the the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now stays true. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as you notice this text, and we as Christians celebrate resurrection, each Lord's Day is Lord's Day because the Lord has risen. And so it's not simply just an Easter text, but once again I want to remind you the significance of the force on our ethical behavior that the resurrection brings to bear. Remember, all of it. So if we read the ethical life from 13, the evangelism, the perseverance, the whole, from verse 13 all the way through verse 21, all of it, the entirety of the life of faith, with its indicative elements, you know them, your identity as a believer, regeneration. We, we, we uh, confessed it this morning, what justification means to us. That indicative element of your life of faith. I am forgiven. The fact that you believe there is a concept of forgiveness and that you are banking on that through faith as you put your faith upon Christ. The indicative elements as well as the imperative elements 
This is who you ought to be now. This is how you ought to live. This is what you ought to avoid. This is what you ought to pursue. All of it, the entirety of the life of faith, only has meaning if the resurrection is true. And I hope you grasp that. So the resurrection isn't simply something we, we begin to concern ourselves with on Monday, Thursday. And, and then we celebrate on Good Friday as an extra day off in the week. And then we gather on that particular Easter Sunday. Of course, it's important to mark in the church calendar and to observe here just in the United States as a particular Sunday. But every day, the entirety of your life of faith only has meaning if the resurrection is true. Again, how so? Notice the language of the text very carefully, and you'll see the rhetorical move he is using. Notice verse 21. Again, baptism which corresponds to Noah's event now saves you. Jump through the discussion about the signs and signification and jump straight down to the language of prayer. So, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, we can say it in reverse. If, if you look at the text, you consider it, say it in reverse. If the resurrection is not true, then baptism does not save you. See, if the resurrection is not historically true, and it is not plausible, it's myth, or or inspiring story and perseverance, but not actually historically true, neither identifying with the church of Jesus Christ through your water baptism, nor your being lost in the blood of Christ through spirit baptism amounts to anything transformative or real in your life. We are a substitute, low-ball version of a better social cause. That is what we are if the resurrection hasn't occurred. The critique the church is a substitute for people who can't find fellowship elsewhere would be there. A placebo to life's hardships and troubles. A white house that is at least pretend while we're at the seat of life. That would be a fair critique, and you need to take it seriously. If the resurrection is not just for a few moments. Peter pops back up and it's significant for that. But the early disciples' unwavering commitment to the reality of the resurrection. I try to say, listen, baptism which corresponds to saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn with me just for a moment. First, uh, First Corinthians 15. You know the text very well if you're a believer and you've been in the church for some time. I want to draw your attention to it. If you would, turn over. If you have a text, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Significant. Again, remember, if then the resurrection is not true, then baptism does not save me. And neither my identifying with the church through water, nor my being washed apparently in the blood of Christ by the Spirit amounts to anything transformative or real in my life. 
1 Corinthians 15, a significant passage, of course, once again, about resurrection and about the uh, end of time regarding the bodily resurrection of believers and so forth. I just want to draw your attention to Paul's emphasis here about how important it is to grasp, meditate upon, and then live in light of the reality of the resurrection. It is something. Again, bear with your baptism. Your faith will terminate on Christ alone.
those three individuals you see in the text were four complete activities that helps the number that was given to Because, do you remember we covered this if you look to an intro to First Peter before we jumped into the second letter, and you recall that they are recorded in John chapter 1, where Peter was sitting, and he's out at sea, and the Lord calls, and the disciple who Jesus loved, i.e. John,
beginning. The question that we ask ourselves, and I'm asking this morning, as we think of the text of First Peter and the impact of the resurrection on ethics, how does the reality of the resurrection shape our identity as the baptized of Jesus Christ? That's simply how do we assent to believing it? How does it transform? Peter, his answer would be this. The efficacy of water baptism itself is completely dependent on the text. You see, if you put the text together, it's quite plain and straightforward. It may seem tricky with a lot of moving parts, but it kind of isn't. The logic of it is you acknowledge it. You see it in the text as we read it. You simply say, well, that's kind of obvious. Again, the efficacy of your water baptism itself is completely dependent on Christ's resurrection. For instance, you cannot be brought safely through the water of judgment if Christ has not already endured the judgment and victoriously overcame on your behalf. Yeah. 
Christ. If you look at the text, he's gone into heaven. What is it that he that he was that he is achieving? He's at the Father's right hand. He's at the right hand of God. And 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 to understand the authority and the victory, angels, authority, and powers have been subjected to him. I'll conclude with this as we end our time this morning here in Jude chapter three, verse Jesus. I hope you can recognize the conclusion. The application of power is the It's wonderfully captured in Heidelberg's question for the I couldn't say it better often than anyone in the of that. Don't this time I'll just let that be It is that good. Heidelberg's question for
thank you for your tradition to help remind us the story, the reality of Jesus, Jesus, as he was there, that it would encourage us to hope in him. And that too, ethically, we would be able, with that hope, to give the preference in our lives, in our families, in our lives, in our individuals, in all of the places where we have friends and sisters and that there would be some measure of hope Thank you.